Well, good evening, everyone, and we're happy that you joined us again in this evening um, from our live studio here. Um, it's, it's still not the same, I'm telling you right now. We have these cameras around us, we have all this equipment, we have the songs, um, but just not being able to see anybody and not being able to uh, um, lift our hands together and worship and praise, um, I'm still not used to that, and I don't think any of us are. Um, so, you know, during this time, again, we thank you for tuning in and trying to get used to this normal. Um, we want to, to continue our, our series tonight on uh, what to do when unexpected things show up in our lives. And as Julian said earlier, our series is called, You Can't Handle This, When Life Gives You the Unexpected. And in the past few weeks, we looked at the root of suffering and we looked at how Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden fell from the, the, uh, the um, um, privilege of walking with God every day and of seeing him face to face. The fall of man, the fall of creation in the Garden of Eden. And then uh, last week, Julian spoke about a different garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus wanted to restore everything that had fallen. And he was in that painful moment and painful experience in his life where he was praying to the Father, Lord, if it's possible, have this cup depart from me. Nevertheless, let your will be done. And we spoke about how in times of suffering and in times of need, when we pray to God, we recognize that we are acknowledging the limit of our physical, of our mental, of our spiritual being. Prayer is nothing more than communicating and talking with God and saying, Lord, I can't do anything more from here. It's really you. Lord, I need supernatural, divine intervention in this moment, in my life, and in this period. So last week, we looked at what we should do personally. Today, we're going to look at what we should do for others. What we should do for others. How many of you guys had chores growing up? I'm looking here at our audience here of the worship team. How many of you guys had chores growing up? Okay, I see everyone shaking their heads. You there at home, you're shaking your heads as well. Yes, we have chores. We still have chores. Um, I had chores growing up. And my mother, when she would leave for work in the morning, she would leave us a list and she would put a magnet on it onto the fridge, one for me, one for my brother. And she would expect by the time she got home for those things to be completed. So she expected, you know, the house to be vacuumed, she expected the beds to be made. And this is the most important part. She expected the chicken to be thawed, right? If you didn't put that chicken to be thawed out from earlier, then you had leftovers for dinner, right? Um, so I remember those times where, you know, get home and, well, it looks like it's whatever we had a few days ago. So me and my brother had chores growing up. We had different things. And when my brother wouldn't do something, for example, my younger brother, um, I remember thinking to myself, well, he's going to get in trouble, right? It's not me. It's his responsibility. He's going to get in trouble. But when my mom got home, guess what? She didn't care who did it or who didn't. She just wanted it to be done. And I would get in trouble because she's like, you're older. You're more mature, right? You should have done it if you saw he wasn't doing it. You should have done it. So then we both get in trouble. Likewise, with ourselves, Spiritually speaking, we're in God's family. 
And God has given us a to-do list, if you will. What to do when the unexpected happens. Things that we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, need to remember. When we see our brother or sister suffering, struggling, or anything in between. It's not up to us to sit back and say, well, they'll figure it out. They'll handle it. They'll be fine. I believe, and we'll see tonight in tonight's lesson, that God expects us to step up and to lend a helping hand. It's our responsibility. It's our duty as brothers and sisters in Christ to help one another. In our lesson for tonight, we'll see through the Apostle Paul uh, a few things that we can do to help when someone deals with something unexpected in their lives. If you have your scriptures with you at home or if you have your phone pulled up or your tablet, open up with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 13 with verse 11. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 13 with verse 11. Finally, brothers, so there's that term, brothers, sisters, the family in Christ. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen. This is Paul summarizing what he had just written in this letter. And we obviously don't have time to get into all the details, but I will say this. Throughout First and Second Corinthians, he really tears into them. He tears into the things they were doing wrong, the things they were doing right, and he calls out their struggles, he calls out their sins. And you don't have to go far through these two layers to find out that there was a lot of bad stuff going on in this church. And this was the early church, right? This was the, 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 the first Christians, and they were struggling big time with understanding what scripture was, with, with uh, uh, questioning the authority of Paul, of the apostles, um, fighting in between them, doing sinful things in their family. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. And Paul really tears into them. And it's almost like at the end of all this, in his last few verses, he takes a deep breath and he goes, finally, brothers, rejoice. Rejoice, as if saying, at the end of the day, I still want you to be joyful. I still want you to aim for restoration. I still want you to comfort one another, to encourage one another, to live in peace. And so tonight we're going to look at three things that we can do, three things on our to-do list, if you will, our checklist. When we see someone else struggling, when we see someone else um, in, in suffering or anywhere in between, three things that we can do from this passage. We can rejoice with them, we can aim for the restoration, and we can unite with them. I'll say that again. We can rejoice, restore, and unite. And we'll get into those tonight. So Paul begins by saying, finally, brothers, rejoice. He wants to conclude and leave this, this, this letter in good spirits. And if you read just a little bit before then, even in the same chapter, 
He's talking about their sin. He's saying, I've come twice. If I come again, I will not hold back. You're debating my authority, but I have the authority of God in me and there will be punishment. There is sin among you. We need to call it out. I will spare nobody. I will exclude people if I have to. And he does not go easy on them. And then he says, but rejoice in all things. This is something that is unique to the life of a Christian, that no matter what you're going through, no matter the struggle, in all things we must rejoice. Not in outward happiness based on their circumstances, but an inward and inside out expression of thankfulness, of joyfulness that comes from not ourselves, but from a higher purpose. He reminds us that there is still much to be cheerful about. Um, Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Um, It's a common theme in the Bible for Christians to rejoice even when, when our circumstances push us to do otherwise. It's a common thing for us, for the Bible to tell us to rejoice. To count it all joy, as it says in James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you experience trials of every kind. Why? Is it just so we could come up here with a fake smile and say, everything's fine, everything's okay, I'm doing okay, I've been stuck in the house for two, three months, and you're screaming kids or screaming siblings, but I'm fine, guys. And you're saying it through gritted teeth, and you're trying to put out this, this, this fake persona. We said a few weeks ago here, it's okay to say that you're not okay. It's okay to say, I need help. It's okay to say, I need to, to, uh, um, to have a sanity check. I need to have a spiritual checkup. I need in this time to really focus. But we shouldn't perceive joy as something that we should that that we should fake, that we should expect to come from the outside. No matter what's going on in our lives, we have things to be joyful for. The Bible's very clear about this. The primary thing that we have to be joyful over is our reconciliation with God. Our relationship with God. That's where it starts from. If we have not truly experienced that metanoia, that transformation of the mind, of the heart, of the spirit, the the new identity that we have in Jesus, we cannot truly say that we have joy in all times. We can't. Because joy comes from an outside power inside of us and expresses itself through us. Without that divine power, the circumstances around us will crush us. In Romans chapter 5 with verse 10, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation just means to be brought together. And I could just stop the message here and we could just end on this point and say, in all circumstances, remember the fact that you are reconciled. You are not an enemy of God any longer. God, when he looks at you, if you are a child of his, when he looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see the enmity between you and him. He sees the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, covering you and his righteousness 
covering you, and now we are adopted into the family of God. And if for no other reason than this, we should be joyful. We should rejoice every single time we meet together. Every single time we pray, we can look to this and say, God, I thank you that while everything else is going uh, awry and, and just uh, falling down all around me, at the end of the day, I know that I have a deep, personal, loving relationship with you. I can't stress how important this is when we talk about our joyfulness. When we talk about our, uh, our, our always rejoicing in all circumstances. Again, we could finish the message right here or we could dig into this even deeper. We could stop right here for reasons for us to be joyful. I remember a long time ago, I was, I was a kid, but um, I didn't know what to pray for. And I remember, um, I think it was, it was, it was my, my, my grandma, I think, that told me, just be thankful that you're saved. I said, okay, well, I say that, and then what? Keep saying it. Keep saying it. Keep praying. Keep thanking God that you have a relationship with him. And I'll say this to those that maybe haven't experienced that relationship. The rest of this message will not make sense to you if you don't have that deep, personal, abiding relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Everything that I will say from here on out will not make sense. We can fake it. We can push through it. We can show grit and determination. But at the end of the day, the true joy comes from the Heavenly Father, comes from God himself, that gives us the power that sustains us in our weakness. His power is made perfect in our weakness. And I could talk about this for the rest of the night, but I will mention a few other things. What else should we rejoice in? Our relationship with others. Our relationship with others. In 1 Corinthians 12, 26, it says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is talking about the church. How when one of us suffers, we all suffer together. When one of us succeeds, we all succeed together. I'm thankful for all my, 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 my spiritual brothers and sisters. I'm thankful that when I see success in their lives, I know that God's working. I'm thankful that I have people that can pray for me. I'm thankful that I have people that I can look up to. I'm thankful that I have people that truly care for me. And I pray that I can be one of those people to others as well. Your family members, your friends, those that God has placed in your life to be a good inspiration for you. We need to be thankful for them. Um, I grew up moving around a lot. My dad was a pastor, so we moved from state to state. And um, for the longest time, I, I wouldn't really be able to make deep connections with friends because I stayed for two years here, two years here. And just growing up, that's how I was, I was kind of trained. But after a while, after I learned that, hey, staying in a place for a long time, I need to put down some roots. I need to grow some relationships, some friends that, that I can count on, that can pray for me, that are good influences on me. 
Maybe you don't have someone like that in your life. Maybe you don't have good inspirations and good, uh, um, good mentors in your life. Maybe this is the time where God is showing you people that you need to be thankful for. People that maybe you've taken for granted. Maybe a friend that's always been there for you. Someone that's prayed for you. Someone that's lifted you up. We can also rejoice not just for our relationship with God and with others, but for our reward in heaven. Jesus says it himself, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. At the end of the day, this kind of sums it up. We can rejoice knowing that no matter what happens here on earth, we have a reward in heaven. Knowing that no matter what happens to us, to our bodies, to our minds, no matter what, we have a reward waiting for us in heaven. But that's because we have that deep, spiritual, abiding relationship with our Lord, with our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you don't have that, at the, that light at the end of the tunnel, my friend, this is going to be a very dark world. This is going to be a very um, struggling few years of, of our existence on this planet because there's no reward in sight. But those of us adopted into his family have that reward and have that hope that we look forward to. Amen. When you rejoice with others in good times, it shows that you care for their success. When you rejoice with others in times of struggle and in bad times, it shows that you care for their suffering. When you reach out to them and they get, uh, they get, I don't know, good grades, they get a promotion at work, they, um, they go to that college that they've wanted to go to, and you say, that's a great job. God bless you. That's amazing. I'm so happy for you. And you mean it. They can see that. They can see that you care. And our friends and people around us can see that we truly care. But not just then. Also when they suffer, when they struggle, it's our responsibility. It's our duty to reach out to them and to remind them and say, hey, look, I don't understand what you're going through. And we're not called to understand what they're going through because we can't. We're not in their shoes. But we are called to rejoice with them and to weep with them. As it says in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You're talking to a friend that's struggling through something. Whether it's, it's, it's tears of, 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 of just struggle or tears of joy, you're with them. And you show that you care. And it's our responsibility in those times to reach out to people and remind them of the joy that we have in our relationship with God. Remind them of the important people in their lives. Remind them ultimately of the reward in heaven. And you'll have to use the exact words I use, right? Because I'm preaching a sermon right now and it'd be weird if you, I don't know, maybe use the exact examples and things that I say, but in your own words, you know your friends, you know your family members better than I do. Maybe it's a simple Bible verse. Maybe, um, maybe it's a gesture. Maybe it's spending time with them. But remind them, hey, listen, it's not the end of the road. Listen, I know things are going down. I don't understand what you're going through. But let's, let's thank God. Let's thank God that we're able to um, uh, 
come to church, when we're able to come to church. Let's thank God that we're able to even uh, uh, talk to each other. Let's thank God that we have this joy from him. Let's thank God that we have the reward in heaven in your own words. You know them. But let's reach out and rejoice and remind people that there is a reason to rejoice. There is a reason during all times to rejoice. And that's our responsibility. And listen, it has to be genuine. It has to be authentic. If it's not, if it comes from a place of, 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 of fakeness, if there's not that deep connection with Jesus to where you truly do have that joy that you want to share with others, it's going to come out as fake. And people are going to see that. So we need, first of all, to be thankful and rejoice in our relationship with Jesus. And then, finally, as Paul says, rejoice and rejoice with others. He goes on, he continues after he talks about rejoicing. Aim for restoration. Aim for restoration. Paul in this chapter and in this book really um, has given them instruction um, and also chastising them or calling them out on what they've been doing wrong, on what they've been doing bad. And even in the same chapter previously, he says that this is the third time in in 2 Corinthians 13 with verse 1, this is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warned them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. But here's what he says. He continues on in verse 9 of that same chapter. He says, for we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this is key right here. Your restoration is what we pray for. Your restoration is what we pray for. Paul is tough on them. He doesn't mess around with sin. He doesn't mess around with the things that they are struggling with in a sinful manner. But the restoration is always the goal. Rest, uh, restoring them in a relationship with the Father is always the goal. And he continues here. Um, and he says that. In verse 10. For this reason I write these things while I am away from you. That when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me. For building up and not for tearing down. Paul is always seeking to build up and not to tear down. In the previous examples, I've, I, I spoke a lot about struggles, right? Struggles are sometimes a burden, right? It depends on our perspective. If we have that joy within us, then I'm not saying it's easy, but we say, hey, the Lord's got this, the Lord is handling this, and he is carrying my burden, right? But sin is always a burden. A sin is always a burden, but a burden isn't always a sin, right? It's kind of like a square is always a rectangle, but a rectangle isn't a square, Right? A sin is always a burden, but a burden is not necessarily a sin. Yet here, Paul talks about restoring one another. What do we do when we, when we handle this? Because this is a sensitive topic. This is a sensitive situation. When somebody is dealing with something that's more than a struggle, 
You know, struggles we embrace because this is counted all joy when you experience trials and tribulation because your faith uh, will increase and you will be more like Jesus for Jesus suffered. And we should, um, we should see struggles and uh, trials as, as opportunities for our faith, for our spiritual muscles to, to flex and to grow. Not that we should go seeking them, but we should be ready for them because the Bible says not if, but when you experience these things. But sin we should always flee from. We should always flee from sin. So what do you do, though, when a friend, when someone that you know falls into sin, makes a mistake? There's a few, excuse me, a few important things that we have to keep in mind. The first thing is your first thought should not be one of judgment for judgment's sake, but restoration for the sake of of Christ. Don't increase the burden on the person who's struggling. That's not a responsibility. Don't increase what they're already struggling with. Instead, point to one who can take that burden away. Pray for them. Feel that pain. Feel that sorrow. We also need to remember that he who loved us first has said that we must love others by carrying the burden. In Galatians 6, it says that we must bear the burdens of one another. And there's talking about this when someone is struggling. Bear the burdens of one another. Pray for them. See that they are struggling. But also during this time, we can't use it as an opportunity to raise ourselves higher than they are. It says that in Galatians 6. It says, but be, be careful, be wary, not to fall into sin yourself. And here's what that means. When we see someone that has sinned, that has messed up, that has made a mistake, and we see that they are struggling, that something happened in their life and they're struggling. During that time, we need to very gently, carefully, lovingly talk to them about it. While being very careful, doing a self-examination on ourselves to make sure that we're not silently lifting ourselves to a higher place than they are. And maybe saying, well, I'm glad that my sin is not as bad as their sin. Similar to the Pharisee praying, oh Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this sinner over here. It's very important when you're dealing with somebody that is struggling with a sin, that has, that has sinned, that has made a mistake, to very gently, humbly, in a loving manner, Reach out to them. Point out what's wrong. But always have the goal of restoration in mind. It should never be one of putting more burden on them. It should never be one of, uh, of laying down more things from their past or saying, oh yeah, and I remember when you also did this and you also did this. No. At that moment in their life, they might be feeling the most alone they've ever felt. They may have never said that to anybody else in their life. And it's at that moment when we as brothers and sisters in Christ have an opportunity and a privilege to say, I love you. We'll get through this together with the help of Jesus, with the love of Jesus, with the forgiveness of Jesus. I'll pray for you. And I've had times in my life where I've had to talk to people. And I had those same feelings of, what are you gonna think of me? Are they gonna judge me? Are they gonna see me in a different way? 
but I needed to tell somebody. I needed to open up. And when I would say what was on my mind and what was on my heart, every single time, and it would be a person who would be more mature in the faith, they would look me in the eyes, they start crying, they say, I'm so sorry that this is happening. I'm so sorry that this is happening in your life. We'll pray through this together. We'll pray through this together. The goal is restoration. We need to quickly go to the Father. We need to quickly pray to God. We need to quickly open up to God. That's the mark of a true, mature Christian. As a big brother, big sister, when you see your little sibling fail, you don't say, huh, they're gonna get it when dad comes home or when mom comes home. And you just sit there and do nothing. If you know about it, ask for the wisdom of God and say, Lord, help me to help them in some way. But being very careful at the same time to make sure that we don't place ourselves higher than they do. We need to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to restore them because ultimately we're not doing the restoration, right? The Holy Spirit is doing the restoration. Paul goes on, he continues. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. I'll read those again. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. Let's recap. Paul, or God through Paul has asked us, when we're helping one another as a church family, we need to always be joyful. We always need to restore when there's sin. And we need to be united. This word for comfort, another way to read it, another translation is to call by the side, to encourage, to exhort. Call by the side. It reminds me of, of, of you know, cheerleaders at a basketball game or something. They're, they're calling by a side. It reminds me of teammates in the huddle saying, we got this. We can do this. We're on the same team. I'm by your side. Let's go out there and do this. We are on the same team. We are all on the same team as brothers and sisters. We're in this race together. It's our responsibility to encourage one another, to exhort one another, as Paul says, to, 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 to call out by their side and to, to invite them to continue pushing forward because we're all in this together. We should be cheering each other on. That's comforting one another. Agree with one another. Now, what does this mean? That we all have to think the same way or act the same way or have the same opinions on things? Absolutely not. Because in the body of Christ, there is diversity. And it's beautiful that there's diversity. What this means is that we should be united in attitude. United in attitude. Looking at scripture and seeing the same thing when it comes to what Jesus is asking us to do. Jesus is saying um, uh, to serve one another. To place yourself lower than, than someone else. Um, in Philippians 2 with 5 through 7, it gives us a clue into, into, into how to have the same attitude. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And that first part of the verse, have this mind among yourself. Have this attitude among yourself. Have this, uh, this, this um, thing that you agree on, that even Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead lowered himself humbled himself. Let's have that same attitude in humbling and in, in serving one another. And he continues, live in peace. Live in peace. This is not just an inner peace, but an outer peace as well. This is unity in our, in our everyday lives, in, in, in practice. 
because we could say one thing and do the other. We can go kind of through all this and uh, say the right things, know which verses to quote, but at the end of the day, we won't shake hands with someone or we won't go visit them or whatever. And Paul's saying, no, 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 live in peace. Inwardly, make sure you have that peace with, with, with God vertically and then make sure you have that peace horizontally with others as well. Live in peace. I'd like to invite the worship team back up here as we close in this evening. Let's bring it all back together and examine what we should take away from this evening. God has called us into a family, a family of believers. God did not need to create us. He wanted to. Our God is a God of relationships. Our God created Adam, and Adam was with God and only God. Yet, guess what? God saw that it was not good for man to be alone. So he created a woman. He created Eve, a companion, a helpmeet. He created somebody to be there with him. I've heard this um, a few times, more than a few times actually. I don't need people. I don't need people to pray for me. I don't need to talk to people. It's just me and God. Okay, yes. Listen, at the end of the day, God is all sufficient for all of our needs and he will meet all of our needs and only he can meet all of our needs, really. But God created people so he can use them to help us in our lives. God created the institution of the church so that we can be examples of the relationship between us and him. God created a church that we can encourage one another. He didn't need to. He didn't need to create this this institution, this um, um, group of people called the church. He could have just had an individual relationship with everybody on earth and that's it. But he left us some instructions on how to deal with each other, on how to rejoice with one another, on how to restore somebody when they slip away, on how to be united together. And that unity, by the way, is not something that we create. Scripture says that we must continue the unity that the Holy Spirit started. Isn't that amazing? It's not up to us to force this unity. It's up to us to trust that God will preserve the unity between us We have to love one another. We have to serve one another and have a mind like Christ. A lot of people say that they don't need others to pray for them. They don't need others to be with them. And a lot of those people end up very, very alone. And they remain alone in their struggles, maybe in their sins. And one of the biggest tools, one of the biggest lies that Satan uses is telling us that we are all alone. That nobody else will understand us, that nobody is going through what we're going through. And Satan loves to isolate us. Just like a lion that separates the weak from the rest of the herd and is waiting to pounce on them. Satan loves it when we don't pray for one another. He loves it when we don't encourage one another, when we bicker, when we fight, when we quarrel, when we gossip, when we tear each other down. He loves it. That's his plan. 
But our God is not a God of tearing things down. He's in the business of building people up and he uses other people to do it. God has called you to be an encouragement to somebody. And God, God has called others to be an encouragement to you. In times of struggle, in times of loneliness, of suffering, everything in between, the Lord uses people to help people. He's the one behind everything. And again, ultimately, God is all sufficient, but he chooses to use the people around us. Even, even Paul, in the, same, in the same book, in chapter 7, I'll just read this real fast. We don't have to pull it up. He says he's really afflicted. He said he was afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by, by what? God comforted us by sending down an angel. God comforted us by opening up the heavens and seeing his glory. God comforted us by... Uh, sending a prophet to us and speaking to us and revealing to us answers that we needed. Paul says, God comforted us by the coming of Titus. God comforted us by the coming of Titus. Paul was afflicted at every turn. And he was asking for comfort. He was asking for relief. And God decided to use Titus. I don't know exactly what Titus said. I don't know what they did. But at that moment, Paul said, this is what I needed. I need someone to talk to. I need someone to, to pray with. And he was the exact person that I needed. Thank you, God, for our God is a God of comfort. I have a challenge for us in this evening. If you have your phones with you, either now or after the service or sometime later tonight, go ahead and pull out your phones and look at your contact list and see somebody that needs to be reminded of the joy that they truly have in their life. Look at that list and see somebody that maybe needs to be restored. Look at that list and find somebody that needs to unite with somebody else that needs to be reminded to, to, uh, um, to uh, have the, 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 the family of Christ back in their life. And I don't want you to stop at one person. I want us to do two. Find two people in your contact list that you can reach out to. Send a text message. And just say, hey, I don't know what you're going through. Maybe I do know what you're going through. I just want to pray with you. I want you to know that you're not alone. I want you to know that we may feel alone. We may feel socially distant. But I just want to pray for you. See what happens. Trust that God can use you to be an encouragement in the life of somebody else. At the same time, I'd like you to reach out to one person and ask them to be there for you. So you reach out to two people but then I want you to find someone that you can ask, hey, can you pray for me? Hey, can you just remind me of the goodness of God in my life? Maybe I don't have anything major going on, 
Maybe I just want to have someone to, to, to pray with, someone to, to, to uh, uh, talk about how good God's been in our life. But can you reach out to just one person and ask them and pray that the Lord uses them to encourage you or to remind you, to restore you maybe, to unite you with other people. Can we do that in this evening? Doesn't have to be right now, maybe later on tonight. But if you do that, and if you trust God, that he can use you to be an encouragement to others at the same time asking the Lord, saying, Lord, I need comfort and I need someone to talk to. I need someone to pray with. I know you're all sufficient, but I also know that you created us for one another and we need, Lord God, fellowship. And I need right now someone to pray for me. Can you imagine what would happen if we all reached out to just our family church members, the, the people from our student ministry? Can you imagine what would happen? That's my challenge for us in this evening. Reach out to two people. And for yourself, ask someone to pray for you. Ask someone to just remind you how good God is in your life. And I think and I really believe that God can do great things.